Welcome to the April 2013 Behind the DM Screen. And I am not going to ask what month it is this time because I noticed editing together three episodes in a row that I ask that in every single episode. It's April. I already said that. I got it. Sorry. Uh, Anyway, Behind the DM Screen is three DMs talking about their games and helping each other make them better. That's all the introduction you get. Randall, you're up first. Go. Oh, well, mine will be brief because I didn't play anything last month. So, um... Oh, yeah, right. Um, but I've been looking at, and doing a lot of research. I've actually been filling out um, uh, cards for monsters and stuff for Village of Hamlet, which is what I'm going to run next or this month, actually. So um, I actually would have ran next, but I got a, a severe cold and I couldn't. I was like had no spoons and I was like, I'm done. So I couldn't I couldn't play Sunday or last or the last time. So but um, I don't anticipate your, being sick again. <laughs> is your group back together? Um, like I said, sort of, kind of. I've got people that are wanting to play D&D next or try it out, so um, we will have some people there. Uh, it may not be the full crew, but that we'll have some, and one of the things I am going to do is, that I came up with, it was an idea of, and this has been done for years and years and years, and I've just never glommed onto it, and that's using um, cards for the monsters where all the primary stuff is right there on the card, and you can use them in your initiative order, too. And you just mm-hmm. turn it over, and you've got all the information, their hit points, and all that other stuff on the card. And I can put those out into, like, a Word document and then print them out on cardstock. I can even change, you know, use a different color cardstock for, like, the player's cards. And and so I've got a whole set now of, of that stuff that I can play in the game, and I don't ever... I'm not going to use any computer tools. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, and so it'll be. I'm looking forward to running it again like that. Mm-hmm. So it should be very interesting. Um, what kind but, of cards did you print them out on? Oh, cardstock. I mean, so like eight and a half by eleven cardstock. Well, yeah, um, sheets of eight and a half by eleven cardstock, and then the cards themselves. There's like uh, six to a sheet, I think. So I have to okay. cut them out. But yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And then, so, do you, then do you fold them over like little tents, or do you hang them over the the screen? No, or? no, I'll just stack them. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. I'll just stack them, and then uh, they've got spots on them for conditions and to mark off hit points. And that's uh, that said, I have had a lot of luck. Either you know, you either set them out in front of you if you if you don't use a screen um, in order, or you put you hang them over the screen um, mm-hmm. to the, with the same effect. Uh, and then then you also have the initiative order visible the entire time, so everybody knows who's going next and who needs to be getting ready. Oh well, there's that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I make my players just learn that. <laughs> <laughs> I found that in next, a lot of my combats are fast enough. I mean, there are one or two rounds. Yeah. That I don't know. They they never get an opportunity to to learn that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it does go pretty fast, and yeah. um, I have like I said, I've played one or two sessions of D and D next, so you know, it's not totally alien to me. Sure. But, um. But yeah, it's uh, I still got to print off some of the the new uh, player character information now that we've got like. Four new classes we can play or whatever. Well, so. and all the old classes have been changed too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, in fact, that's yeah, what the, Sam the new playtest looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it does. I've uh, you know I saw it and I you know um, not too bad so far. Uh, I'm still you know I can still see it's in development. I think yeah, there's yeah. some things they need to work on. Sure. But, well, and, uh, and I feel like I can I can definitely tell it's a playtest too because there are certain things that I see them working on. 
in yeah. the playtest packets that I don't think they intend on having in the core anymore. I don't think some of the stuff that we're playtesting oh, is, core. is core. I think it's, hey, we're thinking about this optional rule or this module or whatever, so let's throw this this one thing in here in this one class that'll completely unbalance things because it's not being applied universally. Oh, uh, right. But we'll test it out and see how it goes and see if people have fun with it and see what the feedback is. So I, I, can, right. I, I see them doing some things like that, and, and I think that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah. Are you seeing this is in the open playtest you're seeing this? Yeah. Uh, what what class do you think is like that? Um, I just see them. I mean, like I think a lot of the the changes back and forth with healing. I think a lot of the changes that they mm-hmm. make back and forth with, um, I mean, that they've made with skills or expertise or martial damage dice. Or you know, I, I've seen them sort of tweak and play with a lot of things there. Right. Um, and and, I, and I, maybe I see it a little more discreetly as well because I'm also in the the non open playtest, right? I'm I'm in the yeah. the alpha playtest or whatever. Friends um, and family, right? And so I see that. I see stuff change i see you know i basically i see the open playtest packets a couple of weeks before they actually come out and become open and then yeah. i see what they change in between and i can sort of tell what what they're tweaking and what they're working on sometimes yeah, yeah. okay I mean, that's interesting yeah. they're still running that other playtest yeah so and that was you know one thing i was going to mention is that for all the people that think like oh man i totally wish i was in that secret inner circle of awesomeness no. like the good, the good stuff is the open play test. <laughs> like, there's a lot of weird things that show up in the friends and family that end up never making it to the main one, mm-hmm. and 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 it's yeah. better for it. Mm-hmm. That's just I was just interested. I, I I didn't realize that was the case. I thought they had stopped yeah. that one. To, no, they're to, still doing. They're they're, they're oh, I think they're going to continue that all the way to the end because that's their way to test stuff for the open play test. Right. Before they send it out to to everybody, they they test it out on us to see see what we think uh, of it okay. or see if anything's completely broken that they missed, yeah. you know. And there's some uh, experimenting that goes on and, in there too. And it's yeah, there is. And and it's usually not um you know, it's not like we're getting everything really early. It's usually like a couple of weeks or a month at most. Right. No, I I'm cool. I I was just I wasn't like freaking out. I was like, "Oh my god, what are you guys?" But um no, it was just interesting and I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, but but no, I've liked the things so far um that I've seen and like I said converting village to hamlet not difficult. Um, oh yeah, I think, I, I've done zero work on on my conversion for, yeah. or very little work on my conversion for Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, and in yeah. when, and whenever I don't have a monster stat in the bestiary from the playtest, mm-hmm. I've actually been running the stats as as they are, mm-hmm. and, and it works somehow. Wow, really? So, somehow okay. it's it's you I know mean, the damage works out okay. The hit points aren't unreasonable. You know, I yeah tweak you know because uh, Return was was uh, made in third edition, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so I have to do a little tweaking here and there in terms of, of defenses, right? Because they had uh, Fort Reflex Will and AC as separate defenses, and, and Next only has the one defense. But, but you know, it, it's – I haven't had to actually create any monsters yet. If I, if I can't find something I can reskin, I just play it as it is out of the book, and it works. One mm-hmm. of the things I am very interested in is the, is the final boss, which is Lareth. And um, I go in ahead and, and – see, I was debating whether to just make him the uh, – Oh, the human uh, cult leader, whatever that one was. I can't remember the bestiary. Or to just work him up as a fifth-level cleric. Mm-hmm. And I finally decided to work him up as a fifth-level cleric. But he has got a lot of powers as a fifth-level cleric. Mm-hmm. Tweaker. So, yeah. So I'm going to see if <laughs> I'm going to see if that'll work. Hey, may, he may kill them all off. Yeah. But it's like hold spell here, inflict wounds here bam 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 it's just like all this stuff and then plus on top of that he's using a staff of striking mm-hmm. so it's like okay well maybe this will be a little bit too much but we'll see i've got some power gamers let's see what happens well and, and I, it may not be that bad um i mean honestly i've been because you know we're running similar things here right 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 um 
and so I'm using a lot of those. What the the cultists of Asmodeus, and then there's the the there's uh, what dark priests and, and that kind of stuff, right? And so there's like three or yeah. four. There's three or four yeah. different stat blocks you can use. But I, you know, I am I'm wearing those pretty thin at this point, and we're not <laughs> and we're not done with chapter one. <laughs> you, know, you know, so uh, right. well, one one thing that I did when I was running because I ran a lot of those guys in my um, um what the hell was it the slave lord stuff mm-hmm. right. and uh, I would just pick random spells. In fact, it got really bad. Like you know, it got really bad when I was asking the players like what spells they would typically have, and then I would give it to the monster like on the spot. <laughs> so I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, he casts burning hands. What does that do again? And they're like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> nothing. It means flowers come out of his hands. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you could totally like reskin those guys by just throwing different spells because they're all going to have the same set of spells now. Anyway, it's not like 4e where they had their own special powers. I mean, they're essentially going to just have. You know the same set of wizard spells yeah. or cleric spells. Although we don't, we don't have a lot of examples of that. You know, the the next bestiary doesn't have a bunch of um, here's this monster and it can cast these spells. That that's just not the way they're they're necessarily built. They're, yeah, but the, the cultists and stuff do though. Well, that's true. I mean, they they yeah. but they li- but they they list them and stat them out as it, like fourth edition powers though, so you don't have to go yeah. look, look them right. up and stuff. Right, right. But you can kind of tell like, okay, this guy feels like a fifth level cleric. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I, that's basically what I'm thinking of doing. Um, is, 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 and that's a good idea, Mike. What I should do is I should just print off a list of like 10 typical spells of various levels mm-hmm. and just swap them in and out, you know, pre-stat them up for various, uh, you know, for various monsters as monster powers or whatever and just swap them in and out to make them feel different. And then on, and then only because I was thinking about going uh, Randall's way and then maybe only doing that, um, building it as a, as a class character for the really important people. I'm glad nice I could give about, you advice oh, on Randall's turn. Yeah, that's really great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so back to Randall. Yeah, I was going to say, the, with the 5th level cleric, it wasn't too awful bad because they don't have a lot of spells. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's once you pick them, they're done. And, and if you kind of go based on the list that, he, that you already see in the module from, you know, way back in first edition, there's a lot of duplication. And so it's easy to say, oh, well, he's got that, that, and that. And so even if the spell doesn't really exist, it's, like you said, it's not too hard to just fake it, especially with first edition stuff. It's really close. It's not exact, but it's really close. And I'm finding that for, for people like us who've been around the game long enough, if the if the power says it's it's whatever power, yeah, we, we're familiar enough with what it's supposed to do that we can just make it up as we go. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, it's not, it's not hard. So. It's not what I would want in a final product. But right. for those of us, you know, when I see prismatic spray, okay, fine. I know the basics enough of, of prismatic spray. I can make that up on my own in next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would like to see what I'd hope to see in, in, a, in a final version of the game is when it comes to creating NPCs to say at a certain level, this guy has, you know, choose from the following, you know, stat blocks. And then it has the ch- chunks of spells already there. It's not mm-hmm. doesn't describe them all. It just lists them, so that you you know you have to become familiar with the spells. But at least I want to see what they are, and mm-hmm. then I can swap those out. If he's a cultist, then he maybe has this. If he's the priest of a temple, maybe he has this. Yeah. But it's you know it's a little different. Um, same with wizards and anything else that's a major spellcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know to have some kind of thing that I can just snap in some group of spells that I can just snap in hmm. and say that's what they got and then I can mm-hmm. run with it after that. So not you know, horribly not horribly dissimilar to how third edition did templates. 
I mean, a little, bit, of, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. There. I mean, say, take the same concept, but make it a little more generic. Is, is what basically what I'm hearing. For, fourth head templates like that too. That yeah, but for, like I always found fourth head templates sticky notes. Hard, harder to stick stick onto something. Yeah, I just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, so not to not to pitch Pathfinder, although I guess so we don't care. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the best books that I picked up for Pathfinder that has helped me like made my life so much easier in running Pathfinder is a thing called the NPC Codex. Which is a big book of sure. yeah, it's, it's level one to twenty characters of every class, uh, already statted out with all the all of the stuff that they would have, including items and everything. And it's so much nicer to be able to say like, you know, they run into an evil guard and it's totally off the cuff, and you just say, oh, it's level five fighter, you know, and you <laughs> you pick the level five fighter and it's got everything. Or you say like it's a level six wizard and he's got all the spells already there, and it, mm-hmm. it even gives tactics like he's going to start with this spell and then this spell and then this spell. See D and D next. As soon as they come out with the main core, that should be a major yeah, book. That's so that first would be a great, right that there. That would be a great book. Yeah. Is is I would I would actually like them to wait about a year when they figured everything out and then make it. Yeah. Oh well, that's true. That's it'll be like it'll be like uh, what was their dungeon the dungeon dungeon delve, you know, fantastic oh, book right. that they should have done two years after development instead of six months. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. When things were a little more solidified. Yeah, exactly. Once they kind of knew what. Well, and they weren't adding a lot more extra stuff too. You know. Yeah. You know, you hate to have a giant book of NPCs when. Yeah. Right. In the first year or two, they add five or ten more classes. You know. Yeah, I think the NPC codex I think came about four years after Pathfinder or three years after Pathfinder started. Yeah. And and it's a stronger product for that. Yeah. I'm really hoping at some on some level they will just say, "This is the game. If you want to change it." Knock yourself out, but this is our game. Well, they—that's what I mean. That's, and I that, think yeah, that's that, yeah. that was yeah. that was the line at Gen Con was uh, their their plan is to to basically publish all of the the rules uh, at, at the beginning, whether that means at the beginning like on day one or that means at the beginning in the first year or whatever. Uh, but they plan on publishing all of the rules, and then they're going to switch their focus to story and adventures and the kinds of things you can do with the rules rather than right. publishing more rules. And that's exactly what I'm hoping because I, you know, once yeah. you get an iteration, and I think that's one of the things that 4E had a problem with. It, you know, yes, it was flawed, but you know what? It was flawed. Just let it go. If you wanted to fix it, bash it and do something different with it. But just, you know, well, leave it be instead of all of these. It's because it's not like a video game. It's not like you can just upload a patch and right, it fixes right. everything. It doesn't and, work that way. And that's a little tricky too. I mean, I think every edition has has had updates and changes to the rules as it's gone along. Um, that said, 4E was as it did that was trying to bring something back that that fourth edition rules originally lost. You know, it was trying to adjust to the critiques rather than just constantly trying to hey, wouldn't this be cool or add this on on or whatever. You know. Um, I think that was I, th- I think that was a flaw in reasoning. I don't know. That's me. No, absolutely. No, yeah. I, th- I think I think all, all the editions do that. I think fourth edition did it for the wrong reasons. Is what I'm saying. I'm, ag- I'm ag- I think I'm agreeing with you. Uh, yeah, but in, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. All editions did that. They really didn't. They they oh. created a new edition. No, no, no. <laughs> but they didn't. Well, so you're, are you talking about the essential switch? Well, well, I think, no, I think you're talking about that and more. I mean, every book well, had yeah. it. I think the first edition of the game, the second edition of the game, and the third edition of the game were all individual sets. They didn't really change the rules. Oh, I played, sec- I played second edition, and there were a lot more rules options and changes to the rules at the they end. Added, second, second they added. Second was pretty added crazy. Right, you know, and, and that, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, okay. I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying. Yes, okay, I'm agreeing with that. Yes. 
Okay. And that's what yeah. fourth, that's how fourth edition was different is that it add, it changed the rules rather yeah. and 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 I don't know that it was necessarily even changed like what did they change? For example, they had a was it morning what was the the last big um well, the rules for I, item book. almost right out the gate. Yeah, okay. Right. And skills. Yeah. But I mean even yeah. even even the magic items, right? You had the adventurer's vault version of the magic items and then you had the morning kindness version of the magic items and sometimes it was the same magic item they just called it the the true version or whatever in the later book. Oh, when and they, they added and then made rarity? it feel and then made it feel yeah. more like the originals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I didn't mean to get off on a tangent on on that kind of stuff. Hey, and it's your fine. time. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> you got three but, minutes uh, left. But yeah, so I'm, long story short, I am looking forward to running D and D next, and and I think what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to try to throw some fun stuff in there. Um, I think the first day is largely going to be um, some character creation because I want them. I've already told them I want them to do character creation at the table. I want to see it done because that's part of the play yeah, test, that, and that I think it's a lot of fun. And and also. Now that I have my um, uh, Lego player character creation kit pretty pretty full out, everyone gets to make their own Lego minifig of their <laughs> character. So, awesome. um, and and I'll show pictures of those when I uh, uh, when that happens. But um, but yeah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty extensive kit. That's the main reason I got all the Lord of the Rings the Legos was so that I could get all the fantasy elements for minifigs and stuff that I wanted. <laughs> So awesome! Um, yeah, it's gonna be cool. I think they'll have a lot of fun with it. So, and speaking of Village of Hamlet, yes, uh, and our our noble knight pick of the episode happens to be the Dungeons of Dread set that recently came out. Ah, yes. Um, the the premium reprint reprint edition, which is five dollars off over at noblenight.com. So people people should go check that out. Uh, but I actually learned something reading the foreword on that 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 relates to the Village of Hamlet. Um, was it S4, the Lost Caverns of that name that I, that I can never yeah. pronounce? Yes, Lost Caverns of Tajkant. Yeah. Yes, that one. Kazuntite. Exactly. Yes. Um, was... Uh, Sajkant! Was... was oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Was, just, oh. The T is silent. Was, but in any case, in any case, it was theoretically like part three of a four-part story of which Village of Hamlet was the first part. Huh. Uh, and they came out, out, they came out out of order... And this one was just, they're like, oh, this one's so good. We got to, and what is it the, is it finished with the, um, the like Temple of Thera's done or something? Oh, W4, which is the, t- um, yeah. So it the was Forgotten Temple of Thera's Dune. Yeah. So, so it was W4, which was that one, the, uh, the Thera's Dune one. Uh, but there was, it, but that was W4, and there was never a W1, 2, and 3. Um, apparently, as it was originally conceived, 1, 2, and 3 were supposed to be Village of Hamlet. Uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, and then Lost Caverns. Oh, no, that's interesting. I did not know... I actually did not know that. That's interesting. And so I found that to be an interesting little tidbit in the foreword of the Dungeons of Dread supplement, available right now over at NobleKnight.com. Uh, Sam and I talked about that a little bit on our on our cast the other night, and I love the idea as a collector's item. I would never run a game with that book because it's all bound up. And when I'm running a game, I need the map out separately. I, I want to be able to, you know, make notes in the margin. I want to be able to, and I wouldn't do that to a nicely bound book. Yeah. Yes. So know, I like while it's a great collector's item and a fun thing to read, maybe if you're uh, you're familiar with it. Uh, if you want to run a game with this, kids, I'm gonna say hesitate. You know, maybe uh, find a PDF, table. buy a, a PDF. Table book. Right. But it's it's not that much harder than I mean I've bought a lot of other books that didn't have removable maps and all that other stuff. And you, well, you, you can get by okay. 
maybe. I'm just saying, if you want something operational, buy the PDF, guys. <laughs> Seriously. Well, yeah. I mean, I actually... You get the, so you that's get the, same, thing, you get the right? same problem with the PDF. You still got to yeah. scroll back and forth. I'm actually well, not crazy about print. running adventures off digital. And I'm not but about could... to print. It's like it's like $1,000 a page with ink costs now. <laughs> yeah, no, roughly. It's, like that. it's like a second mortgage on my house in order to print 30 <laughs> pages. See, I went, to, I went to a color... Um, laser jet a long time ago so i use toner oh god it's even worse yeah no it's not actually you you save do you really oh yeah i can get like three four to five times the amount out of my printer well and i and i and i I agree i I think one of the things i would do if i were to run you know for example the tomb of horrors has what was originally a separate booklet with all the pictures and things in it right Right. Um, I would probably go through with my with my printer and scan all those on or copy all those or whatever. So I'd have still have those to show without having to open up the book, and I might as well have a copy of the map available, you know, as well. But that's not. I mean, that's a handful of pages out of the whole book. I, I think it's probably worth doing. I'm not Maybe. saying it's not worth buying it. I think it's a great. I, I think it's great. I just think people have trouble running an actual game from it more than they would if they had something flat in front of mm-hmm. them. So. I, I mean, I have the same issue running next anyway because I don't print, you know, just flipping back and forth th- to the different stat blocks I need in the beast area. So PDFs have have similar issues for me because I don't because <laughs> I don't print them. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases, including D and D. They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right. Well, I did not count any of that towards my time, but it is my turn. So I'm it is start- your turn. I'm going to start my time now. Go for it. All right. So since we last chatted, um, I've run one or two more sessions. Um, of Return to the Temple of Elemental, Elemental Evil. I'm trying to remember where, what happened last time we chatted. Uh, I don't remember. No, okay. There was a temple, and there's a lot of evil. Ooh. Yeah. It okay. was, I think it was your second one, so you were still... Yeah. Um, I just remembered the spreadsheet with the 400 NPCs on it. Yeah, I know. We've talked about that a couple times now. Yeah. Um, well, here's, here's basically what's happened. They, they've more or less cleared out the moat house. Mm-hmm. That, which is the the chapter one sort of big dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, they then went through this long sort of investigation of who can we trust, who can't we trust, who's the spies, who aren't the spies, and all that kind of stuff, and and, and more or less rooted out the main core of the spies in Hamlet, um, the cultists in Hamlet that were sort of hiding out. But they also oh, right, right, yeah. They also sort of found out then that oh well, they had a doppelganger on their on their t- side. Somebody in town is a doppelganger. We don't know who it is. Now we can't trust anybody. And so they started running around just accusing everybody <laughs> of, being a do- of, of being a cultist or whatever. Um, of, of, and they're like, and we don't know how many there are. It's like, well, okay, but there was only any indication in the, in the things that you found that there was one. But, you know, so, but now that they're like, oh, we know this one guy was because eventually that, you know, it was found out that Drew was dead and, and he was replaced by a doppelganger the whole time. Mm. But they're like, well, yeah, but who else maybe? 
You know, it's like, okay, fine. So they, they just want to burn down the whole city, I think. <laughs> so I used the opportunity, a couple of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I started, I did some of the, the, the background questions that we talked about last time where I gave each of them an open-ended question um, to sort right. of tie them a little closer to the adventure. You know, we had a guy who was a former member of, of the cult who got out. And I, you know, basically more or less asked him the question, hey, there are these two leaders in the cult. In the cult. What did they find out about you that made you want to leave? You mm-hmm. know? So it was big open-ended questions like that. And it, it actually helped inform the, their background a little bit more. You know, that guy's like, oh, well, they found out that I was actually under, an undercover agent for Hammerfast. And he was, he was never really part of the cult to begin with. Hmm. You know? And so they, they developed their backgrounds a little more, but it also connected them a little more to the story. And it had the desired effect. Um, it's definitely a dungeon world, dungeon world sort of idea, isn't it? Which is probably where you got the idea yeah, when you when you gave it to me last time, right? Yeah. Oh, that was my idea. <laughs> I think it was yours. Yeah, that's a dungeon world idea. Um, and then I had a new char- a new character joining, a new player who's not a new player. He just had to take a month off or whatever, and then so he never had a character in the in the game in this game yet. So he joined us, and I used him as an opportunity to sort of seed where they need to go next, because the next chapter takes place on the other side of the region away from, from Hamlet hmm. um, okay. over in a town called Raster near what is called the temple of all consumption, which is actually the master temple, um, you know, that was over the, the temple of elemental evil all along. And so um, I made him as somebody from Raster um, who went, was traveling up to Hammerfast and found that Hammerfast was actually under siege that the Temple of All Consumption had actually already sent an army there. Uh, and, and you know, they, they could, you know, they're, it's a big dwarven hold, so they can hold out for, for decades. They're, they're going to be fine, uh, but they want somebody to figure out where this army's coming from. And so <laughs> he's going to Winter... He went to Winterhaven to get help. All of his other companions died, and now he's looking for people to help him out to go back and figure out where this army's coming from, and that's going to hopefully move them to the Temple of All Consumption. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, to, to really solidify things, I then had... Um, one another guy's playing an NPC who was originally an NPC in the, in the adventure, um, who we just turned into a PC. His name is Zode. Um, Zode. Zode. Zode the Slayer. Which on on my Zode little, the Chode. Uh, <laughs> on my on my little initiative cards. Sorry. No, it's fine. On the on my little initiative cards, I labeled him as Zode the Slayer because that was his full name, right? Oh, um, nice. And one of my uh, uh, one of the Mr. other players. The Slayer. Well, right, and one of my other players <laughs> pulled it down and added Toad in between. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's Zod the Toad Slayer. Um, so in any case, he his whole story for why he was in Hamlet was because he had a vision from his god, and then he got came to Hamlet and then had no other leads and didn't know what to do and where to go. So he's just sort of sitting around town getting drunk all the time, waiting for another vision. So I gave him another vision, um, and that vision included. Um, the body of, of Morden being broken and, and, um, and bleeding over the mountains to the, to the East and, you know, which is where I wanted them to go. And then it's sort of the last sort of, um, bit of his vision. I had a, a platinum comet crash into what is currently the location on the map that is currently uh, where the temple of elemental evil is. Hmm. Um, because what they don't know is that you end up going back there for the third and final chapter of, of the story to thwart the final plot. Hmm. Um, that's a, so, that's so, a great word. I love that word. What thwart or plot? Thwart. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to sort of hint that that that's you know still a lo- an important location, but the real action is over here in the mountains. Um, they took that as being oh, well, there's something going on up at the temple too. We should go check that out before we go over to the mountains because it's closer right now. 
Hmm. Okay, I suppose that's fair. Uh, so they're going to go do that, and then all, all they're going to find there is some um, some hobgoblins that have taken up residence and, and are basically acting as brigands up there, and it's no big deal. They'll they'll either clear them out or they'll decide it's not worth their effort, and they'll leave. Uh, and that is, or they could bribe them to team up with them as a mercenary army. Sure, but then they then <laughs> have to ask them to travel halfway across the country. Then pay them a lot. Well, maybe they're <laughs> right. but you know. I, I, I really hope that my players will try some innovative things because I'm mm-hmm. going to try because I'm going to tell them when I set them down and I don't mean to, I'm butting into your time I guess no you're fine I'm going to tell them it's like guys stretch your limits it's like go crazy mm-hmm. uh, you know if if you decide that you want to like bribe somebody or and, and you want to try to make them do other stuff or hire an army or something go for it mm-hmm. let's, let's right. see what Absolutely. happens you know and actually so. my, and actually I found that next has definitely encouraged my players to think that way too they've actually done That's a lot good. of that uh, for example when they went up to the temple before they went to the temple they also noticed off to the side of the temple the town of Nolb Oh, good old Nolb. Right? Well, Nolb is basically abandoned at this point. It's got a few ghosts uh, in, in a few pl- buildings here and there and, and whatever. And the only living creature left in Nolb is Lareth. Oh, man. Right? And, and, is he, like, down on his luck? Is he, like, a street person? Oh, oh, he's he's uh, he's scarred. His face and body are completely scarred up. Oh, because so he was the beautiful. He was, yeah, he was Lareth the Beautiful. And he still calls himself Lareth the Beautiful, but he's clearly not anymore. And he's gone completely <laughs> bug nutty. Um, uh, okay. and, and secretly, he's actually the chosen of Therizdun, which is why the, the temple actually re- resurrected him after he died in, in the first adventure. Uh, and so they resurrected him, but he's completely insane, which would make sense for somebody who, who is the chosen of Therizdun, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but he's also completely willing to, to give up all the plots and secrets of the cult because he hates them as much as, as anything. Um, and so they actually, you know, they went in and there's this crazy cleric hanging out in this herbalist shop or whatever. And instead of, you know, cutting him down every time he threatened him or even cast, he, he even cast spells at him and they still sort of talked him down and negotiated with him. Um, and so, you know, they, they did they did a, a decent job of, of sort of finding another way around and realizing that, you know, this guy isn't the point anyway. Yeah, um, and and I'm sort of laying some groundwork and some seeds that what I might end up doing is I might actually, and, and this was done a time that I ran through this adventure as a player, is I might find a way if, if a significant and meaningful event happens, find a way of making one of the players the new chosen of Thera's done and having Lareth be abandoned and see what dynamic that brings up, hmm. and then having that player have to deal with the fact that you know, like it or not, you are helping bring about the the this god. Uh, this chained god, um, and and furthering his plots, only, if only by your existence, you know. Hmm. Uh, and so that's that's an interesting sort of dynamic. But I'm I don't know if that'll come up or not. But I've laid that groundwork, so it could come up. Cool. Um, but now they're going to go deal with the temple, and this is where I start to run into some opportunities um, that you guys had had seeded me with last time. Because one of the things you you said I should do. Is, is kill everybody or blow up the town or whatever, right? Pick something mm. important and, and destroy it. And I'm starting mm-hmm. to think, well, they've, yes. they have at this point actually done everything they need to do in Hamlet. And they're not in town, but they plan on going back and it's, a, and it's an important place to them. Maybe now's the perfect time to blow up Hamlet because mm-hmm. there's nothing left for them to do. You know, I'm not giving up any stories by doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it can further uh, tie into all of the... the characters the npcs and whatever that have survived you know you you have all the people from the moat house that they that they left behind they left and they skinned the the dragon remember we talked about that right uh you have the handful of cultists in town that that got away 
that uh, you know, so I can have them you know marching into town and, and slaughtering half of the NPCs that they know and love and burning half of the town down or whatever and throwing everybody into chaos and mm. uh, you know. So I was thinking about doing that um, and seeing what happens with that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then then Hamlet can be a village again. <laughs> Instead of having a thousand people, everybody will just flee and go back to Winterhaven. Since since they can't since they can't go back to Hammerfast, that that was the Hammerfast thing was originally my my first idea of well this is kind of how I'll burn it down right I'm not going to destroy Hammerfast but I can at least say take this this army that's not really supposed to be a massive threat yet and go ahead and make it a threat now and shut Hammerfast down, which takes a huge resource out of the out of you know the PC's pockets. But then I can actually literally blow up the town of Hamlet too. So, so how are you, you going to do that? Should make Rufus go mad. Say it again. Remember Rufus? Yeah, yeah. No, I've got Rufus and Burn are the two guys that lead the the town. Yeah. How are you, maybe, how are you going to blow up the town? Well, I, uh, and that's the thing. I, I don't know that I wanted to come, to actually blow up the town. Um, right. I, I wanted I, I want there to be some surviving survivors, if you will. Um, and so I was thinking I, I'll basically go through and, and I'm going to kill off a, a bunch of people. I'm going to kill off Elmo. I'm thinking I might kill off either Rufus or Burn. Um, I was going to basically have, of the original sort of heroes that were still around, I was basically going to have the Canonesia Day be pretty much the only survivor, in, you know, in, in fully intact, you know, kill. And maybe I'll do like like Randall just said, right? Maybe I'll kill uh, Burn and have Rufus go crazy. What if, uh, is there a way to kill Elmo? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Elmo was the first one in my head to kill. Yeah, I know. um, Is there a way to kind of put the whole town under siege and kind of leave it up to random chance and the players to decide who lives and who dies? Hmm. Maybe. Uh, Part of my goal here was also to encourage them to move on, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a good way. Well, so if you if you want them, where do you want them to move to? The temple to to the Raster, which is on the other side of the region. It's over south uh, of Hammerfast. Is there like this is a little convoluted, but there's a way of like a gate that opens up to Raster, and the 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 fiends that are there kind of attack the town, and the party kind of runs into it, and like, oh my god, you know, the town's under attack, and it. it you know, it gives them a hint of the main villain or whatever. If the villain walks through the portal before it closes, and you know, they have to kind of like you. Here's the whole town. You have to decide where you're going to go, you know, and who you're going to rescue, and you're not going to be able to get them all. That's a good idea. And that way, so the the the, the fun thing is like you don't even know where it's going to go at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have an opportunity to build out a story ahead of time because you know, for all you know, those NPCs that you loved are going to die and the NPCs you didn't even think about are going to live. Here's what I'm thinking I might do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing with that because, because there's certain things I, I mean, you can't really hint at who the main villain is. Cause honestly, the villains don't know who the main villain is. That's part of yeah. the, that's part of the conceit of the temple right. uh, and how it works is that you have actually four competing elemental temples. Right. None of which actually know that they're working for Thera's done. And then there's a central temple that they're not even allowed into. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah, and so right. they don't even know who they're working for or who's in charge. They just know if you see one of these guys, do whatever they say. <laughs> you know, because and anybody else you see, uh, you know, the the temples actually compete and kill each other. But that could be that could be kind of interesting. I mean, like maybe the elemental, the temple of elemental fire sends its you know fire elementals and fire cultists or whatever. And there are the central temple. There's like an agent of the central temple who's there, kind of overseeing it. And it just kind of gives this like hint of the hierarchy of the bad guys to the group, and also gives mm-hmm. them a reason to want to go there and you know, finish them off. Yeah. And they're getting some of that already. I'm wondering, 
tying some inspired, I guess, by, by what some of what you're saying. I wonder if uh, another way of doing it is actually to do, um, you know, sort of a, a flash sideways or a dream sequence sort of storyline mm-hmm. where I actually hand them cards and they play some of the NPCs and get to decide well, that hmm, might be who does what and who lives and who sacrifices who and how they do it and all that kind of stuff and do it that way. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, all your talk about cultists remind, gives me an aside. Do either of you guys read Gilded Age? No. Webcomic? Mm-hmm. Um, he, well, first check it out because it's really cool. But he's doing a whole thing now of where he, he's doing like this flash sideways where he's now talking to the – he's showing the cultists. And they're like at this cult con. It's like a Gen Con for <laughs> cultists. It's hysterical. <laughs> But it's it, it's it's a really great comic. Uh, I I highly recommend getting it. But or, or um, uh, I mean it's a web comic, so you can just go through the archives and stuff. But um, right now he's doing this thing with these with these cultists where they're it's just hysterical. <laughs> they're like at a convention for cultists, so it's like okay. That's Sorry, little, little aside there. No, that's fine. But yeah, so now I'm starting to like that idea. I'm gonna see if I can't you know, in the next two days, put together how I would do that because we're gaming on Saturday um, and see if I can come up with enough NPCs to make that meaningful. So that's good. I like that. Um, the, the other, you had another idea, Randall? No. no okay. No, it sounded like no, you were about to say something. No, no. Uh, the other thing I'm, st- I'm wanting to sort of start to see if I can lay some seeds to see if it, see if it grows, so to speak, um, is part of the idea of the Temple of All Consumption is that it has been taken over, but it's actually built in the ruins of an old Dwarven Empire. Hmm. Uh, And so I wanted to make it a really important old Dwarven Empire that hasn't actually been held by the Dwarves for a long, 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 long time, like a thousand years. The Dwarves have been been kicked out or whatever. They delved too deep. Right. Uh, (laughs) But but the leader of the nearby town of Raster um, is a Dwarven cleric of Moradin named named Rarid. Rarid Hammersong. And I want to find some way of making... Oh, I want to at least lay the groundwork to make give some potential for there being a restoring the Dwarven throne sort of uh, B-plot going on while they're working through um, the temple. If there's a raster, there needs to be a princess named Alabaster. No. Why not? <laughs> Rhyming is awesome. <laughs> Raster and Alabaster. No, no, I get the rhyme, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you can't all be gems, damn it. Right. So, so I'm trying to figure out if there's some way I can do that. Um, the trick I have is that I was going to – I have I have a dwarven cleric of Moradin in the party um, from Hammerfast who could definitely have connections back to that. Uh, my only hesitation is that you know I don't necessarily want to give him a divine quest or vision or whatever because I've already done that with the paladin. Um and I don't, you know, I don't want to go to the same, same well too often. But, but maybe it would work, okay, if I if I held off for a few sessions. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, those are my thoughts. That's where I'm at. Sounds good. All right. Yeah, sounds like fun. With three minutes to spare. Sweet. Have I told you about the newsletters I'm doing? That means I get to use three minutes. No, I can uh. use those three minutes to tell you about my newsletters. Have I told you about those? No. No. They were inspired by by Mike's flash fiction. Oh, really? Um, only instead of doing flash fiction, I actually decided that there was a guy in town, a guy in Hamlet, inspired by the DM who actually ran, ran me through this adventure back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he's, he, he's printing a newsletter. 
And so it's just, I just use a a newsletter (laughs) template or whatever, right? So the back is just sort of my recap of what happened to the previous session. But then the front is him doing these little articles and vignettes and things about the party and and all that kind of stuff. And they hate the guy because he's all suspicious of him. and, And I mean, I had one of the players threaten his life. Go up to him and tell him, if you print another bad thing about me, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, what did I print bad about you? You said we slunk into town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's adding a fun – I mean they're like trying to hunt him That's down and figure fine. out how he's printing things. I mean this is an age before there's a printing press, right? So how's he printing things? I don't know. I was just going to explain it away as some magic item or whatever, but I haven't you – know? so they're, they've, they've really engaged with this thing, this guy. And they're actually in, involved and they're in, in reading the newsletters every week and they want to see what's going on and they – you know. Um, I, it's been it's been a good uh, it's been a big success for me. I've really enjoyed enjoyed doing it, but it, it's created a a way of recapping what happened each session in a way that they're actually interested in reading about, and then they're engaging in in the story as well. That's awesome. So I'm, is, I, so, that is a cool. Idea. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have him follow uh, when they go to Raster. He's going to follow along. He, he will he will have to survive the devastation of of Hamlet. Great. All right. Well, there I am. With a minute and 26 seconds left. Boom. Uh, before we go on to Mike, I want to encourage people to go check out our affiliate links to D&D Classics and Amazon. They will be posted in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And if you go shopping at those places uh, and buy stuff, we'll get a little percentage of, of what you get and it helps us pay our bills. Yay. And with that done, I'm starting the timer. Mike, 20 minutes, go. All right. So I have been running a Pathfinder game. So I've run like five games since we've last talked. Um, two Dungeon World games and three Pathfinder games. How do you have time for that much gaming? Uh, we had a lot of weekend, a lot of weekend gaming, and I have my regular game. Didn't miss it. I suppose, didn't, I suppose didn't it helps that your that your wife is in your group and you don't have. And kids. my my wife was in all of these. I think yeah. there was one. No, yeah, there was one of these that she wasn't in because it was at a convention. DC Game Day was in the area. Right. Um, so well, I got they to have no children either. There, and we have no kids. <laughs> yeah, we have a dog. Um, so, uh, but the main campaign I've been running is a Pathfinder campaign set in the city of Magnamar, which is kind of one of their big mega cities with lots of interesting intrigue and stuff like that. Um, my group wanted to go. We played the playtest for a while, the D&D Next playtest for a while. We played one Dungeon World game, and they all kind of were interested in going to a more rulesy, you know, f- fully published game system. And none of us had really tried Pathfinder, although some of us had done 3.5. So I said, sure. And from the DM's perspective, I love it. It's very, it's easy for me to kind of go with it. I have three players that are very interested in doing the rules stuff. So I can just say, like, I don't know, ask them, you know, like, I don't know what that does, you know, and then they look through 800 pages of rule books and argue about it. Um, but from a lazy DM perspective, it's been very easy to kind of go along. I've done a lot of random encounters. Uh, I have kind of three big plot lines that are moving forward and the group kind of gets involved in whichever one they want to get involved in. And uh, that's all been been really good. The sandboxing, so it's it's a big sandbox, right? I've I've kind of said, okay, here's a murder that's going on. You know, th- there's been two murders, and the group has been hired through one of the party members. Like one of the party members belongs to this church called the Cathedral. Well, the the, the place is called the Cathedral of Abadar, and Abadar is the god of like finance and stuff. So she's kind of like this money lender slash, you know, priestess you know, holy, holy lady. Um, and she's the arbiter of money to the rest of the group to hire them to stop these murders of nobles because it's going to hurt with trade. And the murders are getting done by these, you know, ghouls that wield straight razors, uh, known as the skin saw cultists. And, uh, 
So there's, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff that's going on. The city sits on top of uh, ruins from this 10,000 year old rune lord, you know, these these ancient wizards called rune lords that ruled over the world 10,000 years ago. And Magnamar just happens to be built like kind of right in the middle of, you know, an area that once used to belong to them. So there's lots of cool ruins and stuff like that. Um, the sandboxing has been tricky, though, because I've been leaving things pretty wide open and saying like, OK, here's a number, you know. What do you do? Yeah, I use the, a lot of the dungeon world to kind of keep keep the story moving forward. Um, and I have like five players and we come up with six ideas about where they should go. <laughs> and it's it's really kind of I, I don't want to force them, but my group is kind of used to being moved along in different areas. They're, they're, they generally don't, uh, you know, they don't work real well in a sandbox. And, you know, because, you know, they're not always like they don't they kind of don't want, you know, mental energy wise. They just don't want to have to think a whole lot. So and I, I noticed this in the, my D&D next game in uh, Isle of Dread, where like they were like nine tenths of the way through a major quest line and then took a 90 degree turn and then skipped the rest of it. <laughs> you know, so they had like recovered two of three idols and they're on their way to the temple for the third. And then uh, like on the way, they're like, ah, let's go to this other place. You know, and then, and then at the end, they're like, what happened to the idols? I'm like, well, you guys skipped it. And I'm like, what do you mean we skipped it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> the idol's supposed to be here, you know? So I'm noticing that in this as well. Like, there are plot hooks that they're kind of leaving on the table, and then later they come back to it. Oh, yeah, that's right. What were we doing with this? Um, <laughs> you know, if it's an object like that, Mike, what you should do is just, like, totally throw it in. Like, yeah, just right. as an aside. Like, they open up a box, and there's an idol. <laughs> and <Right>. it's like... <laughs> and wait. they... The thing is that, like, that assaults me as a storyteller, right? Like, yeah, I right, it, yeah. Like, they could care less. Like, they'd be like, "Oh, that's cool, done." You know, check. <laughs> they would, you know, there might be one who'd be like, "What the hell is that doing here?" But you know, they'd all kind of hand wave it. Um, somebody's but, using somebody's using an idol as a stew pot. Yeah, no. but <laughs> I think we're, you know, we're certainly building like a lot of memorable stories with this, like. You know, they, they during their explorations, they keep go, they they went into the sewers, and as soon as they went down the sewers, they fought these giant leeches, and the giant leeches kind of beat the hell out of them because they were the leeches are like you know level two, they're level one. There's five leeches. There's acid. There's yeah. Oh, they they bite you, and then when they bite you, they they drain your strength and constitution. So now you got to recalculate your character sheet. You know, all that fun three point five sort of stuff, and. uh so they they beat the leeches, but they're like, wow, that was terrible. Let's get the hell out of the sewers. And they went out of the sewers and had to immediately go rest because they blew all their resources fighting the leeches. So they never even got close to their goal when they went down in the sewers in the first place. They like saw the guy like, hey, there's one of those razor wielding ghoul guys. You know, like, oh, well, that guy ran off and we got beat by leeches. So we're leaving. And so then they, they had a couple of other adventures. And then in the adventure last night, they went back into the sewers again to avoid a, like a small gang was headed their way. And to avoid the gang, they went into the sewer, and I, I rolled randomly for the monsters, and it was leeches again. And they're like, oh, my God, with the leeches, you know? So they fought the leeches, and then they went deeper in, and they fought some dire rats, and then they went deeper in, and they fought some ghouls. And the ghouls ended up dropping two characters, killed one of them, oh, and then wow. the group is like, we got to get the hell out of here. And they left, and then, like, they saw the gang wandering away the other direction. They're like, man, it would have been a lot easier if we just fought that gang. You you're, know, not using, you're not going to yeah. use any pug wumpies, are you? No, I I only use what the books tell me to use. I okay, barely, you know, I barely have any control over this game at all. Because I played in a Pathfinder campaign once, and the with the Pug Wumpies, oh my god, <laughs> they suck. They're like yeah, kobolds, but they're on crack. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, the the ghouls are level two, like they're CR two monsters, right? But they get three attacks 
for one yeah. d six plus one on each attack. Yeah, and they just ripped the party to shreds. And I'm like, it's four level two guys. Like these are CR or no, they're CR one guys with two hit dice. But they beat the hell out of the party. So so the party like keeps trying to go in and they all pick sort of investigator kind of characters. And I think I had three of the players tell me, yeah, my guy's not really a combat focused guy. And then they go in the sewers and just get their asses handed to them. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you guys, you know, picked investigators and then went into the sewers. You know, like, what do you expect? Um, so that's that's been kind of a challenge. And and they like last night, they went completely off the rails. Like I had this idea of what they were going to do. And they wandered like off into this dungeon, you know, like this underground sewer complex that led to an ancient ruin for like a half hour. And I have no idea where they're headed. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. So it's been kind of weird to, you know, let it go so far off the track. And, and you know, like I barely do any prep anyway. And last night I set up two maps that I thought they would head to. And I never even came close to using the maps that I put out. So I'm glad I didn't set anything up. Um, but one thing, so there's one little interesting thing that I used that worked really well. Um, when they went into an area that was an ancient ruin, I grabbed my dungeon command tiles, like the, the maps from dungeon command. Oh, and right. I, I grabbed like two big ones and four small ones. And I handed one big one and two small ones to like the other player. And then he and I just like randomly set them out. And that was the map. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. And, and then we said, like, I said, OK, you start here. And then I put the rats wherever I want. So it's kind of clear to the group that we're making this up as we go along. But it was a random encounter. Like I rolled randomly for the monsters, mm -hmm. random right. that they found them in the first place. So it was kind of cool. And I, I thought they actually enjoyed that fight quite a bit. Um, I did do theater of the mind for the leech, the second leech fight. And that worked out pretty well. And I think one of the ways to get a theater of mind sort of set up to work well for a heavy rule, heavy game is pretty much whenever the players want to do something, you say, sure. You know, so if they say, can I flank it? You say, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know? There's no fights. And they're like, I wish I had a map. You know, if I had a map, I could totally min max this. So you're like, no problem. You know, <laughs> like, can I get over to that leech without provoking? Like, yep. You know? So, and then the, to, to, to fend that off, you might just throw more monsters at it and make it a little bit more dangerous. Um, so one of the areas that, and, and this is, this is something I want to discuss with you guys. I'm sure you guys have faced before. I have an interesting situation where I have a, 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 you know, a guy that's rejoining the group. He had a, he had a baby last year. And he's now at the point where he can he can kind of take an evening off every once in a while to rejoin the group. And I played with him for four years. He was he was in my one to thirty. Uh, him and his, he and his wife were both in my one to thirty fourth edition game. And when they when he and his wife uh, left to go have the baby, I brought in another couple um, that has been playing with us since for about the past you know year year or so year and a half. And they so and I play in a game that he runs. And the funny thing is, so both groups are really comfortable with me and we all have a good time and they're, they're very kind of very comfortable and familiar, but they don't know each other at all. And they, their personality types are such that like, you know, one, one, the, the guy from the previous game is very tactical. He loves to look at the overall map. He loves to kind of like figure out the best optimal way to kind of go into a situation. He loves to really think through situations and then the uh, guy on the other side is kind of he's you know, more into the story. Uh, he's not exactly not tactical, but he always kind of thinks about it from the perspective of, of what his character would do or, or how his character is going to get involved or what the motivations are. And the group hasn't gelled yet with all of those people together. Mm -hmm. 
it's weird because it's not like it's a new group, right? It'd be one thing if everybody was new at the table, but because both groups have been at the table for a long time, but not together, I think I think it's creating an inter- kind of a, a, a bizarre dynamic. And I've talked to all of them about it, you mm-hmm. know, like flying i've kind of said like by the way this is how you know this is how this guy thinks and this is how it works and by the way to the other one this is how this guy thinks and this is how he works best and like last like so we had one where it was you know like it was pretty clear that one guy hated the other guy's character and you know so the other guy switched his character out to make one that was a little bit more straightforward and you know i think that helped and then what i noticed last night is how polite they were being (laughs) they were very like oh no that's a that's a great idea you've got there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's better you know it's better than screaming at each other or one guy walking out of the game i guess well and, and that's i mean it sounds like they're aware of the relationship issues there and are working working through them and trying to make sure everybody's having fun right yeah they are i mean the, the thing is like and that's my thought is like you know i don't i could i could i could care less about any of the other stuff of the game as long as everybody at the table is having fun right I think that sometimes that idea of having fun can get pushed back when you're really deep into the game sure and I think when you're in a really rules-heavy game, it's real easy to lose sight of that. Well, and it reminds me, I mean, I've had had differences there as well, where I've had, you know, a player who's really into the story and, and making decisions based on their character, and the, another one who gets mad at him because their character might have made that choice, but it's a stupid tactical choice. And you're going to get us all killed and blah, blah, blah. And then, and you know, and the, it, to the point of, look, if you can't make good decisions, then I guess this character can't be in the group or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like... Well, and then I, I feel like at that point as a DM, I have to jump in and say, look, right. he, he can play what character he wants to play and his his choices are every bit as valid as yours. Right. You know, right. and everybody gets to make just make their choices the way that they want to make their choices in the way that's going to be the most fun for them. You know, and as, I, I think as a DM, if you make sure that, that if it's not already, if you make sure that, that expectation is clear, that everybody gets to make their own choices and, and, and make them however they want to. Yeah, and that's the interesting. Yeah, you're right, and that's the interesting thing about the dynamic. It's one guy who's very tactical. The way he approaches that is, I think he sees it as like, oh, I'm offering a suggestion to him, and right. the way it's received is, you're telling, why don't you just hand you my character sheet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and my wife's played with both groups, so she kind of recognizes both, and she says, oh yeah, that's kind of how he is, and you know, but they don't have enough time. Like, you know, I think that it, like if the, the fellow who hadn't been in or, you know, hasn't been in my game recently, but was with my game for the last four years, if he was just coming in, he'd be, I think, spending more time figuring out how everybody operates. Mm-hmm. But he knows me and he knows, you know, three of the other players at the group. He feels like he can kind of act the way he would normally act. And every, and everybody would know that that's how he operates. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's a different style that he has. And sure. Well, and I find that different game systems um, cater or encourage certain some, some types of that as well. You know, um, I, I had a lot more issues. We had a lot more issues with that in fourth edition than we do in next, for example, because fourth edition is a very tactical, rules-heavy game. Right. You know? Right. And so the tactical guy had a really strong argument. No, of no, if we don't do this right, we're all going to die, and then there is no more game. <laughs> you know, and and on the other hand, um, in next. It's a lot. Things are a little bit more freeform and open and, and creative, I guess. At least the, the mechanics encourage that kind of thinking, or or seem to have in my group anyway. And so, you know, we're, you're probably not going to die in any given fight. Uh, my my old school player, who was also one of my big tactical guys in fourth edition, is very much uh, of the mindset that well, this is a, modeling itself very much off off of old school older ga- versions of the game, which means it's more of a long game. 
you know, any individual fight may not kill you, but mm-hmm. the 10 fights in a row are going to, are going to wear you down and eventually knock you out. Um, and so if at any point in time, things get really hairy, I guess we only do five fights this time, you know, we don't do all 10 and we try to get away at that point or whatever, you know? So yeah. He's a little, he's a little more willing to let some of the tactics go, I think. Yeah, it's funny because I think the the person right now who actually has the biggest problem in my game is my wife, which means it's my biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, she's gonna listen. <laughs> um, but it's it, you know she actually said, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna talk about my feelings towards the game," and and it's very much because of how I mean you know Pathfinder. It's funny because Pathfinder in fourth edition, you know all the all the you know arguments of 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 you know D and D edition wars aside. You know, Pathfinder kind of puts all of its rules into the combat rules. Mm-hmm. So it's got like, you know, crazy, like if you cast a spell while you're in threatening range of a guy, then they can get an attack of opportunity unless you roll a concentration check, which is your level plus the spell level, you know, plus 10. And then you roll against it with your wisdom. And it's just, oh, my God, you know, like, oh, I just I just feel like I gained five pounds when I hear that. <laughs> No, and I wonder how much of the next situation, because I feel like our, our next game is going away from that. But maybe it's not because next encourages that. Maybe it's just because the rules are so fluid and changing so often, and none of us know them that well because they're constantly changing, that we just don't focus on that part. Right. Well, yeah, but I think I think it's pretty clear that they they're hand they're 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 certainly brushing over a lot of stuff that used to be really complicated. Yeah, that's true. Now, fourth edition had much more simplified combat rules, which are really straightforward and easy to go, and then moved all of the complex rules into powers that nobody could understand except the player who had it. And that was still about a 50-50 shot. You know, and say, I'm going to cast, you know, thundering wolf step. And what does that do? Well, I teleport four squares and I get a free attack. And you're like, well, actually, no. You only get that when it's an interrupt, not when it... But no one else can see because nobody else knows what the guy's talking about. Right. So it's interesting to have this rule heavy thing. Well, so so my wife Michelle, it's funny because we went from fourth edition D and D next Dungeon World to Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. So we've gone through this series of like rules with a heavy emphasis on player on player empowerment to rules light, but still D and D to storytelling. You know, with you just roll two d six and add a modifier all the time mm-hmm. to rules heavy, but now combat you know heavy combat tactical focus. And it's interesting because all four of those are basically trying to tell the same style of game, right? They're with all complete D- with completely different takes, right? They're all D and D, and and so Michelle, it was funny because last night we were playing, and Michelle said they they fought the ghouls, and Michelle says I take out my mace and I pour holy water on it, and and I said, well, what the hell does that mean? You know, like. And she's like, well, I don't know. You tell me. And I'm like, no, there's got to be a rule. In <laughs> 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 world, I absolutely would tell you what that meant. But we're not playing Dungeon World. We're playing Pathfinder. There's a rule for holy water. And it turns out you throw it like a grenade and it does one point of damage. And she's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> you know, like, so like we had a we had like a 20 minute, not argument, but a 20 minute debate about whether or not an enlarged character could lift a um unconscious character out of a threatening square as a grapple and you know like we went around the table and there's like it's clear there's no rule in the book for this and i'm like you know i finally just said yeah you could do it you don't have to make a check but they're going to make an attack of opportunity against the person you're pulling out of combat you know because it's it's, it's as though they're moving out of combat mm-hmm. right and and i thought that was pretty fair because you wouldn't want to you know it's like it prevents them from getting a coup de grace so it's still useful 
Um, and the only reason like the guy couldn't go and go adjacent to the ghouls and stop them from doing a coup de grace was because he was enlarged. Well, you know, so I'm not, you know, that's his own stupid fault. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there was all these things like, no, it should be like a grapple where I roll against their, you know, combat defense modifier. I'm like, but they're not even your enemy. Like, why would you have to roll an attack roll against a prone guy? <laughs> an unconscious ally. Ally. Yeah. You know? I would just say the large character can pick them up. You're yeah. getting an attack of opportunity because the, go- the ghouls want their food back. Right. And, and well, yeah. his, it's like, you know, the, the, the guy was not within reach. So the, 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 the enlarged character wasn't within reach of the ghoul. So the ghoul's not going to do an OA on him or AOO on him. But the guy that he's pulling out is. And I said, well, he's certainly going to try to claw at the dude that's, you know, about to leave his area, even if the guy's unconscious. And then, of course, so after 20 minutes, I said, well, that's what I'm going to rule on. You know, that's what I to me, that's the best meaning of the rule. And we rolled in the ghoul mist. So, like, you know, nothing happened. Yeah, it sounds like that's that's one of those situations where you should have made the call after about a minute or two and then said, you know, and if we don't like it, we can go back and discuss it later, but we need to move on, you know? And the, the problem is there are some rules where it turns out there really is, really is a clear rule in the book, and I just don't know it. Sure. Still- but I, I would say the same thing. After a minute or two, this is what we're doing. If if I'm wrong, we can discuss it later, but we need to keep moving the, keep moving the game forward. The, the the good thing I have is I have like two players that are very rules focused and one that's that is pretty rules focused I and mean, a very experienced D&D player. Mm-hmm. And between the three of them, they can pretty much arbitrate any rule that needs to be arbit- arbitrated. Yeah. Um, and, and they're fair. Like none of them, none of them try to use it to game the rules um, or, or certainly if they ever try. One- oh, uh, one of the-, the only one who got to the end of his time. Shock. I know that surprises everybody. Yeah. That surprises <laughs> nobody, actually. <laughs> we spent most of Randall's time talking about my game, right? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's pretty much it. But I'm, I'm, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because we're playing this new rule system. And I like it a lot. I, I actually bought a ton of Pathfinder books. Mm-hmm. And it's so well put together. Like, it's a really well-produced system. And it's fun. Um, but I have that. I have a new group dynamic that I'm working with. And, uh, um, you know, the new rule set, the new group I'm working with, and this new lazy DM style where I'm kind of letting it go in any direction, this sandboxy sort of thing. And that's making life really interesting for me. Sounds like you got a handle on it, though, Mike. Uh, yeah, the hardest part. And I'm, I'm guessing that this is probably the hardest part for a lot of DMs. And it might be, you know, like the thing that really kind of separates DMs out from, from everybody else is that you're, you're really dealing with people and you're dealing with a lot of personalities. Mm-hmm. And, Trying to get everybody to have fun at the group all the you know all the time without stomping on each other or making you know putting anybody down and that's really hard. It's hard just finding one. The end of the I day, get... the end of the day, those players either want to be there and learn to have and figure out a way to have fun with each other, or, or they don't. Yeah, you know? right. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's up to them to figure out whether how, how badly they want to be there. Yeah, and and you know what, my DM experience translated directly over to experiences I've had at the office. Yeah, yeah, mine too. I've been able to run meetings and do things and and make presentations and things with with a lot more confidence and 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 skill. Even though when I go into it, I'm freaked out, but I managed to pull it off because I've got that experience DMing. So, yeah, it actually works. Yeah, and, and sometimes I shoot crossbows at my students, so it's it's, oh, it's analogous. Yeah, there you go. 
Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that said, I want to tell people if they want to get a hold of us, um, you can call us up at the Tomes Biz Line at 919 Biz Tome, 919 B I Z T O M E, or email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Uh, and we have been known on occasion to discuss uh, emails and questions and queries and what have you in the past. Uh, with that said, everybody say goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>